Today's guest leads one of the largest insurance and benefits providers to the government and does so from its headquarters at Pease International Trade Port. But his interest and leadership go well beyond the insurance market. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. I love it. You do? It's my favorite season. It's why I live in New Hampshire. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, well then, end of my discussion. Family's fair. But <laughs> end of discussion. It's done. Okay. I mean, I mean, what's not to love? You've got the the, the beautiful foliage, you, apple picking, and cider, and yeah. all that good stuff. That's where I was going to go to. Like, I finally yeah. get to put yeah. on some clothing that hides my body away. Thank you very much. And on top of it, school's back. Yay. My favorite commercial, <laughs> I don't know if you remember back in the day, was Staples. Oh, my God. And they're like, it's that time of the year. And they're playing, it's the most wonderful <laughs> time of the year. And you the see the father with the, the big grin flying yep. by in his cart and the two kids are oh, trudging along behind that. him. They're back to school. I'm yeah. like, that encapsulates it for me. My kids wow. are going back to school. Back to school and apple cider. I love it. Yeah, and apple cider donuts. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason to go apple picking. I'm you know sorry. what's funny though is you're right. You're right about like the 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 apparel. I love fall. I, I guess I love winter. I try to love winter as much as I can, but I love fall because I get to like wear a vest. I love to wear a vest or like a long sleeve tee or like a jacket, you know. And but there's as still I, sunshine. Exactly, exactly. As there's still sun, and, but as I fill out as a human being, as I fill out into my my you know almost forty physique, it's nice to just throw on a vest or a jacket yep. sometime and be like, look, I look like I'm twenty five. <laughs> Well, and the other thing, too, is that, I mean, I know everyone bemoans the end of summer, and I get it. I mean, summer goes by in a blink of an eye, and then, you know, you get to February, and you're like, how is winter still six months more ahead of us? Um, But for me, it's the reset button. Like, not only kids are back to school, it's like... You know, vacations are starting to wind down. We're getting back to business. Yeah. The networking kicks into high gear. You start seeing all your colleagues that you haven't seen for a few months. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that reinvigoration of like, all right, Ray, get back down to business. Right. How was your summer? Let's do business. Right. Yeah. Hey, um, you ready to do some business with I Paul am. Fort? All right. Our guest this week is Paul Fort, CEO of FedPoint and administrator of large-scale insurance benefits programs serving this federal civilian and uniform services market from its headquarters at the Pease International Trade Port in Portsmouth. Paul has been with the company since its founding in 2002, leading it most recently in 2020 through a complete rebrand from its founding name, Long-Term Care Partners, LLC. Paul, welcome. Well, thank you for the invitation. Do you have any favorite fall outfits? <laughs> I like vests. I've got a whole collection of them. Oh, I knew I liked them already. All oh. right. So um, we know so far that FedPoint administers employee benefits, but that's sort of, I feel like, the tip of the iceberg. Um, and it's certainly not just another benefits company, as it were. So what is FedPoint in your words, and what sets it apart? Well, our primary customer is the federal government. And the federal government is immense, of course. We Mm -hmm. all know that. We all know that it's very complicated and it has all kinds of regulations and it has all kinds of requirements. And uh, so initially it's rather daunting, Mm -hmm. but you come to recognize after a time that once you have actually met the standards that are, are being expected of you, 
you have a chance to uh, uh, secure a strong foundation. It's one of the reasons that the government doesn't always change contractors very frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so think of it as like a sleeve that's very narrow. The entrance is very, or honeycomb, mm-hmm. but it's very deep. Mm-hmm. And oh, so once you're in, okay. it's going to be very hard to displace <clears throat> you. Uh, so for example, we mm-hmm. have to meet, we're largely a service company. We do th- functions for insurance and benefits mm-hmm. like uh, enrollment and billing mm. and customer service support. And of course we have all kinds of software that we've developed to help people uh, approach self-service portals. Sure. We also pay and settle claims. So we have this array of, uh, of services that we offer, mm. uh, billing, uh, uh, customer service support, yeah. uh, claims adjudication, mm-hmm. we have 40 nurses on staff that make assessments about the condition of people oh, wow. who apply for uh, claims under the federal long-term care insurance program. Mm-hmm. But we have very, very strict criteria that we have to meet. In fact, there's more than 140 criteria or metrics we have to meet each year. And if we don't meet them, we get docked by the government and it's very strictly monitored and, you need and to meet audited. Those. You need so, to meet those because you're a federal contractor. Well, these, yeah. the, these are the terms that the federal government has established for service oh, for wow. its population. Uh-huh. So for example, if you place a phone call to us, we have to pick up that phone call uh, 85% of the time within 20 seconds by a live trained operator. Wow. If we don't hit that, we get docked. That's almost unheard uh, we of. We have five days to turn around a claim wow. once we have all the information. Now, okay. if you think about your own experience, huh. what business or service that you've dealt with provides that kind of responsiveness? So, uh, None. But we've been doing it for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you know, we have hundreds of pages of documented metrics reports. So anybody who would try to replace us will have to match that kind of performance, and yeah. uh, it wouldn't be easy to do. So well, let's get a, a, a bit of a, the scope of the company, too. Yeah. How, how many lives are, are covered or clients that you have? How many claims well, are you processing we, annually? We, the programs differ. There's the federal long-term care insurance program. There's a federal employee um, dental and vision insurance program that's flexible spending accounts program. Mm. And we have some other work, for example, with MetLife that's commercial. Uh, but altogether, we're touching some 7 million feds uh, around the world. And, and some of these benefits uh, are payable uh, to people who file claims from an overseas location because they might have been in the Department of State. They might have been in some other – they might have been in uh, a military uh, capacity because we also uh, cover um, military people. Mm-hmm. So uh, if if they decide that they're going to live in Tokyo uh, after retirement from the State Department, well, we have to deal with them there. I imagine you must have some interesting situations that you deal with that maybe aren't typical insurance. I mean, military personnel who are maybe stationed in, in war zones or, uh, you know, diplomats uh, or people in, in the State Department that may be in a country that is all of a sudden uh, going through revolution. Um, yes. You know, what are some of the various situations you find yourself dealing with and helping customers, clients through? Well, uh, happily... 
a lot of this can be handled electronically because we've developed very strong self-service portals. So it's not always a matter of uh, taking phone calls. So, for example, you might be on board a ship in the Sea of Japan and you're concerned about a parent who is enrolled mm -hmm. in the federal long-term care insurance program, and it's uh, 1 a.m. where you are, and you just get on the Internet, and you send us a message, and we'll be able to pick that up and respond to you. So it's not always a matter of, uh, of our dealing uh, you know, with, with people on a, on a, over the phone or, mm. or just trying to wrestle with something like that, but we do have situations that arise, and uh, we've got to be able to handle them. You've got about, what, 400 employees, I read? About 420 right now. Okay. Um, Full-time uh, full employees, but, of course, we have a lot of contractors, uh -huh. and then we have seasonal people because the federal government holds these events that they call open seasons sure. where you, there's a, a special time to enroll, and perhaps you're familiar with that from you know, your own experience where a, a company will offer you a chance to enroll in a health plan or make right. a change at the end of the year. Right. So they have these large events, and we sometimes have more than 1,000 people wow. that we have to hire on a seasonal basis, usually through subcontractors, in order to uh, secure the necessary support to meet those metrics. Wow. So what are some of the sort of, we'll call them, foundational elements of, of the culture and of working at FedPoint, um, knowing that these a lot of these folks are uh, maybe doing sort of the same thing over and over. They're on the phones. They're, you know, they've got task-oriented things, maybe not creative and outside the box in some ways, but what is it, what is it like to sort of to work with FedPoint, and, and what have you based sort of the culture of the company on? Well, first of all, uh, it, it's never the same. You might think that there's a, a lot of rote work, but the federal government itself does change. There are new regulations there are new people coming in to the federal government all the time. The federal government's right now hiring about 7,500 people per month wow. who are new to the federal government. And then there are the people who are retiring, uh -huh. a comparable number, uh -huh. but those people aren't required because of the programs we run mm -hmm. to drop their coverage. Oh, so wow. they can retain their coverage. So now you've got new actors coming in. Of course, you know, the military has more than 2 million strong. Right. So... Um, so the government changes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's complex. It's, uh, it's difficult to master certain areas of it, but that also makes for stimulation mm -hmm. because okay. uh, you've got to sort of rise to the challenge. Yeah. Some people are former military people. Some people have had some federal government experience themselves, or they've been experts in some aspect of the insurance industry. I mentioned that we have some 40-odd nurses, mm. uh, and those nurses do assessments on, on uh, uh, customers who have submitted claims under the federal long-term care insurance program. And so they have clinical experience. Some of them were in, in uh, surgical theaters, or they, they, they uh, administered uh, nursing homes mm -hmm. or, or uh, uh, assisted living facilities. And so uh, they've, they've now learned some valuable new skills in business that yeah. they didn't have. I'll say. Uh, and I mentioned military people. We, ha we have some 30-odd veterans uh, on hand that uh, have brought their considerable technical and operational skills uh, to the company. So I would say a continuous 
learning environment. Love it. If okay. You don't, if you don't like to learn, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> and I can say personally, uh, and I consider myself a lifelong student of various disciplines, nice. but there has never been a day where I thought I knew everything or that I wasn't learning something or something didn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I think a lot of uh, our employees feel that way. Plus, uh, we foster a very open environment. People are invited to challenge uh, the status quo and current ways of thinking. Uh, we do a lot with innovation. We have something called the Titus Awards that uh, specifically recognizes uh, innovative projects and ideas. It's held on an annual basis. And we give special attention to those people who uh, might have bucked their boss. Their boss didn't want to do the project, and somehow they got to go forward. If you have a situation where your boss was trying to prevent you to do it, and you found a way to bring it forward, Mm -hmm. and it's successful, so much the better. Nice. Because haven't we all been in a situation where we've had a boss who was... Right. Do it For this one way. reason or another, yeah. squashing some kind of incentive mm. or creativity. Yeah. So we particularly prize those people that cool. manage to push up through whatever the the ceiling is. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked that question in that way because I was corrected and educated, and and I'm glad I did because I think we got more out of that than had I just said things must be, you know, things must always be changing there because it's the government. But yeah, thank you for, for kind of enlightening us on that. And I well, think our, our uh, listeners will probably find that interesting. I think, seriously, I think our culture is one of the things that does differ. I mean, a lot of businesses like to think that their culture differentiates. Sure. I think yeah. ours really does. Mm-hmm. And I think people also feel on some level that they're making some kind of a contribution. Oh, sure. Because the, the federal government does very important work for all of us. I mean, we have a lot of people in the FBI that we support, and look at the stress they're under right now Mm. because of the very difficult assignments they've been given. There are FBI offices all over the country that are under very tight security now because of the incident that happened uh, this past week. And uh, I think a lot of our people recognize that, think of this as a kind of contribution they're making, that by supporting federal employees and military people and making their lives better, mm. they're indirectly uh, supporting the country sure. and, and, and making it stronger. Mm. I would agree. Yeah. Now, your cel- FedPoint is celebrating its 20th anniversary. Yes. So what prompted the founding of this company 20 years ago, particularly in this niche? And can you also talk about the uh, pretty big-name partners that were behind it as yes. well? Yes, uh, thank you. Well, um, it, I'll have to try to... Uh, make this brief because it's a long story. (laughs) But the federal government uh, put out a bid for a new program called the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program in 2000. It was signed into law uh, by uh, President Bill Clinton. And the uh, U.S. Office of Personnel Management put out a uh, solicitation to have various insurance uh, people uh, prepare bids. And because it was going expected to be a very large program and rather risky, uh, some of the carriers were uncomfortable uh, going forward on their own. And so the federal government allowed uh, for the formation of uh, a consortium. You could join with another insurer, provided that you respected all of the antitrust regulations. You could join with another insurer for purposes of providing 
uh, this program Mm -hmm. of of doing all the administration. And John Hancock and MetLife decided to get together. Uh, It was a little unusual because they had been fighting each other in the streets for 150 years, really (laughs) back to the time of the Civil War. Right. And uh, that's so, a pretty significant rivalry to all of a sudden end. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, after I was named uh, CEO, I had to answer to a very senior person at MetLife, a very senior person at Hancock, and then I had the federal government. So <laughs> oh, on some days, I would get yelled at successively by all three of them. The phone would run. <laughs> oh, I'd get yelled at by Met, and the phone would ring, and I'd get yelled at, and then finally the federal government would come in and stomp on me. Uh, so, uh, and he's still there 20 day. years later, I so, rem- right? <laughs> I remember once I, I kind of gave a rendition of, of that story, and there was a little girl visiting the office with, uh, with some other children. It was one of these, like, the, the kids come through the office and sure. ask you questions, yep. you know. And this little girl says to me, um, excuse me, sir, but why do you do what you do? Oh, great That was question. after I told that story. Like, <laughs> what a great why question, would you? Why would you do this? And I, I must say, I was somewhat tongue-tied. I had to search for the explanation because I wasn't... Sure. You're like that well, yeah. Why do I do this? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well. Now. So now. Here's to take those words from the little girl. Why do you do it, Paul? It's 20 years. Um, it's it's a lot of stress from three different angles at least. Um, but what keeps you what keeps you going? What well, do you, what two do you angles enjoy about now it? because MetLife decided after oh, right. seven years that okay, they were right. going to exit, right. Right. and uh, that was fine. Okay. Um, I, I've always enjoyed uh, working on things that are complex, and uh, I enjoy taking the long view and building steadily toward some end. And uh, uh, I find that uh, working with the government uh, to be very interesting. Uh, it, it, things that are unpredictable can happen. Right, just right after we submitted our bid, we had 9-11. Before the first contract was written, we had the largest terrorist incident in American history. And if you're an insurance company, you tend to take that kind of stuff seriously because the federal government hadn't at that time declared that it would be accept liability. And so, uh, and here we are, you know, beginning business with the federal government and we have... You know, not only uh, the the uh, World Trade Center, but we have the Pentagon, and no one knew at that time how many other offices would be under attack. Mm. Uh, th- there was the anthrax scare, so you know, I find that the challenge. Uh, secondly, uh, I I like uh, working with people to uh, uh, bring about uh, uh, new programs and uh, innovative ways of uh, delivering them. And then, of course, you know, part of my job is also to, as the public face of the company, mm-hmm. to uh, interact with uh, people in the Seacoast community, and that's been a real pleasure. So I'm dying to know why New Hampshire. You know, you've got a company whose primary uh, customer is the federal government. You would think D.C., you know, somewhere in that right. area. Yeah, right. Why Pease International Trade Point? Uh, that's great. <laughs> a great question. And uh, the answer is simply that... Um, there was a building that was available on Pease because of a, uh, a, uh, a lease arrangement. Uh, there was no uh, tenant. And we had looked in the beginning at uh, Washington. We had looked at uh, 
uh, ruled out uh, ruled it out because of cost. Mm. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we were going to be as efficient as possible, and, and we thought that if we needed a lot of people locating ourselves either in Washington or Boston uh, or New York would be uh, expensive. We actually also looked at Tampa, Florida. Uh, but then, you know, this building was available in Pease, and 20 huh. years ago, Pease isn't what it is today. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, we had we had coyotes slinking through the grass there. I remember seeing them, and uh, so uh, it was it was initially a tough sell. But don't forget, Pease is an unusual arrangement. Uh, it was a former SAC uh, base, Strategic Air Command base. Yep. It's still the home of the 157th uh, New Hampshire Air National Guard. Uh, and, you know, the home of the uh, Pegasus 46A, the, the, the new super tanker, which mm. flies very important missions, refuels uh, planes uh, that are bound for, uh, you know, distant uh, uh, places. And um, we thought that maybe that connection would also uh, be helpful to us. And, yeah. and in the actual discussions with the feds, they liked that because technically – we're all at peace still on federal land. Sure, sure. Um, we sort of jokingly in the beginning, I think maybe even before the mics went on, said that, you know, it's the insurance business. How interesting is it? But I think something that um, there's, a, there's a number of very interesting things that the company has done. Um, one thing I want to uh, ask you about, though, is that you have uh, formed a distinguished speaker series. So I'm curious about how and why that came to fruition. And you're hosting that speaker series. Is that right? Well, um, this past, uh, past month, we were delighted to have Dr. Dr. Joanne Conroy, who is the CEO of right, yeah. uh, Dartmouth Health, mm -hmm. uh, come down, and that was in a kind of interview format. Uh, in, on other occasions, we've had speakers just speak directly. Uh, we've had uh, our New Hampshire senators, we've had mm -hmm. Governor Sanuda just speak directly to the population. Uh, I, I like it because uh, I want us to be feel like we're connected to the important decisions that are being made in this country. I think uh, an informed uh, 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 employee is uh, going to be ultimately a more effective and more satisfied employee uh, when you feel that you're learning and you feel that you're engaged mm. uh, during the week. It's it's uh, it's just a better feeling, you know. I can tell you, uh, many years ago, I remember riding the elevator uh, in the John Hancock Tower in the early '80s, and you know, it was 49 floors, and you'd be riding up, and it would be Monday morning, and people would be looking ahead to Friday, <laughs> yeah. and or if it was you know Thursday night or it was Friday morning, they'd say TGIF. Mm -hmm. And I remember being struck by that long ago and saying, boy, that, this is a terrible situation. Can you imagine waiting the whole week in order to enjoy the weekend? Mm. Uh, feeling not exactly imprisoned, but, you know. I, and I vowed that if I ever had the chance to run a company, I would create an environment where people did not have that feeling, that they were not dying for it to become Friday. And of course, you know, we all, we all want a break. We all want our personal time. But mm -hmm. I, I think within degrees, you yeah. can make an environment stimulating enough that P 
people aren't look, looking at their watch. I can't wait to yeah. get out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've done that. I think that's what the culture and and this distinguished speaker series yeah, is yeah. a way of stimulating people, bringing in people who have a perspective on on some of the big problems in New Hampshire and the mm-hmm. country. Yeah. So the audience is is your employees. They come yes. to speak with and for uh, to your employees. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. a great great thing. So what was your path to the C-suite? You know, Thank you, you said, for asking that question. Chance, Thank yeah. you for asking You're that welcome. question. I like it. But you said, you know, if you ever had a chance to, you know, be in a position of leadership, the type of culture you'd want. So what led you there? I mean, how did you well, get you know, to be I, the head <laughs> this of question, the This question company. probably, uh, if it had been asked, would make the response I just gave you a little bit more understandable. But, you know, in a former life, I was an academic. Oh, and uh, so uh, I was, uh, I lectured at uh, uh, some Boston area colleges uh, on English and American literature and related subjects. And uh, to me, there was no such thing as a weekend. I love what I was doing mm. so much that didn't matter what day of the week. I worked on the weekends because I was so caught up. And I think that people who are really into what they're doing, musicians, artists, yeah. others, feel the same way. Right. It's What's not the big work deal so about much. The week? It's, it's not. just something it's, you love. I mean, if you, if you love something, your work becomes a form of play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I felt that way. But when I got into the corporate world in the early 90s, this is like the year of Reaganomics and the big suits with the square <laughs> shoulders and everybody is wearing three pieces. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a very stiff environment, very regimented and had a lot of strict rules. So what made you leave academia for the corporate well, world? I, I could not secure a tenure track uh, position. I had uh, uh, written my dissertation on a relatively a, a, a distinguished and important but by then obscure figure and I didn't do the best job marketing myself plus 1980 was like one of the low points for academic employment there were only a handful of jobs in the country so after kicking around for a while and uh, you know I decided that perhaps I should uh, face the facts and look to make a change and Who as, was, it, um, as it happened the, mm-hmm. the only company in Boston that would hire me was John Hancock, and I ended up in the international division. The vice president at the time was a, a, a very impressive guy who himself had a master's degree in Romance Languages from Cambridge uh, University that and had traveled all over the world mm. and was fluent in French. And um, so uh, that, that was an important factor. That surprised me. And I found myself in that position, and well, the rest, I guess, is history. Yeah. Who did you write that dissertation on? <laughs> the, the figure is uh, uh, Richard Hooker, who was born in 1554 and died in 1600. Oh. And he was a master of, uh, of prose, of English prose, and wrote a, a defense of the Church of England, but it was a defense also of a certain political philosophy and outlook on the world. Not wow. terribly marketable in, in 1982 <laughs> uh, and, and probably not marketable today. And uh, I want to delve in a bit too about, you know, you've undergone some, some 
big changes as we all have during the pandemic. But while, you know, other people are trying to keep the doors open and so forth, you went, you know what? Let's do a rebrand. Because what <laughs> else would you do during the right. pandemic? Why not? So you used to be long-term uh, right. care, uh, uh, LTC partners. Um, why the change? Why then? And and. What impact has the rebrand had? I, I had wanted to. I had wanted to change that name for more than a decade. <laughs> we had started with the long-term care insurance program, and and that was fine. But then, starting in two thousand six, we had a chance to take uh, the administration for the federal employees' dental and vision insurance program, and we started doing uh, flexible spending accounts. Mm-hmm. And uh, meanwhile, the long-term care insurance business was uh, going through some rough patches. And I thought, well, you know, how are we going to persuade people that we have the capability to handle any large form of insurance or benefits administration? It doesn't matter what the line of business is because that was true. Mm -hmm. This name is limiting us. It's long. It, it would confuse people. People would sometimes think that I was running a nursing home. Right. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we went to a, a, a great, uh, you know, we, did, we put out a bid and ended up working with a terrific uh, group down in New York City, younger people, very sharp. And um, uh, we came up with the name FedPoint, which was, you know, kind of sort of suggested that we were in the the area of of the federal government, mm-hmm. and it was a place you would go. We reference all kinds of things by means of points, right? Like, you know, peninsula and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you, you orient yourself by means of that place. Mm-hmm. If you have any, any problem with insurance or benefits in the federal government or the military, where do you go? Fed point. So we went from... Uh, uh, Four words to one word that's only, uh, what, eight letters. Yeah. And so were you already in the process of that when we the had pandemic been talking hit, about or? it? No, we, we had been before the pandemic. We were already, we had done the research. We were working with the people in New York. And then the pandemic hit, you know, uh, it was late uh, 2019, early 2020. And we decided to go ahead with it. And um, we're very happy we did. It's been very well received. I think it, it is able to convey to people that uh, we have uh, immense capabilities uh, and that, uh, you know, they can read into it whatever they like as opposed to thinking they know what we are and then deciding that perhaps we're not for them. And what was the pandemic like for FedPoint? I mean, you're dealing with a clientele that it's the federal government it's not shutting down there's lots of demand what did that mean for your business well we like like so many uh business people uh we we were we had to put our employees first and we talked with the federal government about this um we managed to move uh within a few weeks 97 percent of our workforce into a remote posture we gave them double monitors. We gave them ergonomic chairs. Our, our uh, IT people, our help desk people, worked day and night to pull this off. Wow. They, they were in the building, mm-hmm. uh, and there were strict guidelines for how to protect them. 
Uh, and we had some people in the uh, billing department because we had to cut checks for claimants and there were, uh, the, the building manager was there. But otherwise, almost all of us were remote. And so we, we worked with, uh, uh, on the internet and we worked with uh, products like, uh, my, well, now Microsoft Teams. It was WebEx at the time. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of people were using Zoom. And we were able, there were federal, many, many uh, thousands, tens of thousands of feds who were also working remote. Some of the people mm-hmm. that we work with in Washington were themselves remote. So uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't uncomfortable. Uh, and uh, we did that for two full years. Wow. Wow. Um, speaking of employees. By the way, oh, I, yeah, could I ahead. just add? Of course maybe, you can, yeah. We never missed our metrics. We nice. managed to deliver the nice. metrics that we were being held to remote. And so remote it was nice. actually uh, an interesting learning experience. I, I think we developed capabilities we didn't have before it. We had to. Cool. Um, so I, I, I read recently that um, FedPoint took the AARP employer pledge. And I was, I was interested in that because so, talking about culture and, and your, your employees, but um, and, and, you know, kind of a diverse workforce, but by taking that pledge, the AARP employer pledge, um, what was the company affirming and, and why is that important? Well, you know, we, we, uh, we have been very fortunate in having a, a mix of young people mm-hmm. and, and pretty mature people. We have one fellow who just turned 80 nice, and he's not the first. And I especially like to put them together. I like to put the young <laughs> oh, people together with the older people. I bet. Because each has something to teach the other. Yes. And it's very good, I found, for morale. But what was happening is that, you know, we went through that crunch about six months ago where we were all desperate to find people. And there was a talk about the great resignation. Mm-hmm. You know? And so um, we got to thinking, well, <laughs> there are many qualified retirees, some of whom are, you know, a little restless, uh, especially after COVID. They might find that uh, it would be appealing to come in for a couple of days a week or maybe not at all if they don't want to do that mm-hmm. and maybe on a part-time basis and we could access their talent. Many of them have held uh, responsible positions uh, in other venues and we thought, suppose we could bring those people in yeah, to help us. For and, sure. and But how will they know that that? were a great company. Well, we thought maybe we should go to AARP and, mm. and, and find out what it would take. And so that's, that's why we did that. We've done a similar thing with, with veterans. You know, we, we hold certain awards for our uh, uh, practice of hiring veterans, and we're recognized nationally for that. Nice. That's a way of telling people, yeah, this is a culture that you might want to consider being mm-hmm. part of. Sure, for sure. So oh. 20 years in, 400 employees, where do you go to from here? Well, you know, service businesses are not easy to scale. They're, mm. hard, they're a little bit harder to scale than, than you know, when you have uh, 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 tangible consumer mm-hmm. items, that, you know, whether it's eyeglass frames or phones or whatever. So it's been a challenge, but um, we are hoping to uh, – there are several federal government um, – uh, programs that are being readied for some significant changes. And we have the technical 
uh, capabilities to bring about those changes in a highly desirable fashion. We just won a, a major contract that uh, puts us in a position to do that. Uh, some of this has to do with uh, the, the postal workers. Some of it has to do with the military. So that's one thing. Uh, we are also providing some uh, important administrative services for MetLife's legal product, uh, which is a brand new venture, but we've, we've worked with MetLife in the past. And uh, we'll be looking for uh, other, other, other venues that, that uh, opportunities that we can get into. Uh, one thing we certainly are looking at is healthcare itself, because we have the capabilities to work in the health sector. And we're, we're doing that on the long-term care end, but I'm talking about moving more into the acute health mm-hmm. area, which, as you know, constitutes now roughly 20% of our economy, over $5 trillion uh, now, wow. and it will grow in the next decade. So that's an area that we're looking uh, pretty seriously at. So um, I would say that uh, we have some good prospects. Yeah, still lots of opportunity 20 years in. Paul Fort is CEO of FedPoint. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And now the buzz. So Nathan, Mm -hmm. in August, we had some really hot days. I mean, even hot for August. Yeah. They were like, you know, approaching 100 on a regular basis. Yes. And, uh, you know, the bad news about that is according to some recent research from UNH, uh, we need to get ready for more of those. Uh, So climate scientists at UNH released a new report cautioning that the Grand State has become increasingly warmer and wetter since the 1970s. And so uh, it says that by the year 2100, most of New Hampshire should expect 50 to 60 days a year to be above 90 degrees. Whoa. And that's shocking. And But we that's what's going to happen if we keep on that track unless we start really reducing the amount of greenhouse gases. Right. Right. And well, and they talk, they talk too, right. In that one about, it's not only summer, um, that is, is troubling. It's yes. also winter and this, you know, talking about maybe a, a, an additional 10 degrees higher in the winter, right. um, which for our, you know, recreation or whether you're an ice climber or a skier or a skater or something, um, that's going to, that's going to be a big deal. It is. I mean, uh, for a state where we are so dependent on our natural resources and our tourism, especially outdoor, hotter summers means more people being driven indoors, um, which is going to affect people's summer outings. Winter, it's going to affect our ski industry. Mm-hmm. It's a lot going on that if we don't get under control soon. The other thing it's going to do for businesses in general is just drive up energy costs. Right. That's more air conditioning that's going to be running during the summer. So there's a lot in this report that is concerning about where New Hampshire is headed. And then basically the message is um, the climate change is already happening in oh, our yeah. state. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Agreed. And it, a part of it, too, is that there, again, you know, it's it's not just summer. It's not just winter. Um, it's not just the temperatures. It's these extreme weather events 
And too. we're going to be seeing more of those as right. a result. Yeah, not um, not good for business um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, you think about, okay, you're a business near a river that now is you know rising more and seeing more flooding, and now you've got to have more flood insurance, maybe if you can get flood insurance, you know, and all of a sudden your costs are going up and your risks are going up. And it's also a strain on our aging infrastructure, our right. stormwater drains and systems and all of those uh, basic infrastructure uh, that gets wear and tear from our weather right. um, is going to be even have more strain on it. So that is going to c- command more investment. Indeed. And that's what we're buzzing about this week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. Check out the Cardinal blog and learn about our services at cardinalconsultingnh.com. We're on social at Cardinal Consulting NH. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business New Hampshire Magazine and Cardinal Consulting.